Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, we made it. The long and convoluted regular season is over, and we've moved on to the games that matter. Today's show, obviously, is a special NBA playoff preview episode as we get set for the Nets versus Celtics in round one. Try to keep my ranting to a minimum because I want to get to my special guest this week as soon as possible. And that's the absolutely fabulous play-by-play voice of the Brooklyn Nets on WFAN and the Nets Radio Network. The great Chris Carino will be joining me shortly. And after that, I want to get to your Twitter questions in a new listener mailbag segment. So, should be a good show. Hope you enjoy it. If you do, ask that you please subscribe to this podcast on the Odyssey WFAN platform, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading this episode. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to post a comment in the review section. So, folks, I gotta say that I'm kind of happy the Nets got Boston instead of Washington. Yeah, the Wizards kind of looked a bit off in the play-in game. But, you know, who knows what a few days of rest could have done to bring Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook back to their normal electric selves. It's not just that the Wizards gave the Nets fits in the regular season, winning twice and keeping the last meeting close until the final minute. And that's with two of the Nets' big three of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden playing in each game, by the way. Or the fact that the Nets swept Boston in their three meetings and... The Celtics are moving forward without injured star Jalen Brown. I just didn't like the matchup with the Nets switching their bigs onto Washington's speedy guards. And you can include Nets killer Ish Smith in that category as well. Those guys get a little bit of confidence, and I just felt they'd be a problem. Now, the Celtics, on the other hand, I think the Nets are very capable in terms of having the personnel to match up with the one superstar in Jason Tatum. Put KD on him, put Jeff Green on him, give him different looks. Maybe a little Nick Claxton, you know, who was pointed out by ESPN, Zach Lowe, owns the league's best opponent's shooting percentage as the closest defender. Outrageous, 33.7%. Minimum 30 games played, by the way. So, you know, the Nets have the length and the scheme to deal with Tatum while at the same time not letting the other guys go off. You know, got to keep Tristan Thompson off the offensive glass and 
you know, I think they'll be fine at the one end where they're the most vulnerable. Because offensively, this team is looking unstoppable. I mean, Harden looks like he's back to his pre-All-Star break form. He's no longer consistently short on his step-back bombs. Kyrie finished off the rare 50-40-90 campaign by knocking down all three of his triples in the finale on Sunday versus Cleveland. Just the ninth player to ever do it and only the fourth to do it while averaging at least 25 points per game. I asked Kyrie's backup Mike James about how remarkable that feat was, and here's the clip. Hey, Mike, uh, Kyrie Irving finished with a 50-40-90. You know, at his size, that's really hard to do. Uh, what, have you, what are you seeing from Kyrie Irving on a day-to-day basis? Uh, special. Just uh, his skill level is probably one of the best ever. And just what he's able to do on a basketball court is probably unmatched in history. So, I mean, uh, I think people are lucky he's, his, his height, if he was any taller, it would probably be really even more scary. So, uh, you know, he's special, and uh, it's just uh, nice to watch him every day. Again, that was Mike James, who on Sunday was involved in one of the franchise's greatest sequences since the Jason Kidd days, I guess, throwing it up off the backboard on a fast break so that a trailing Durant could slam it home. All of it was set up by a Harlem Globetrotter behind-the-back flip down the court by Blake Griffin after coming up with a loose ball on the defensive end. So those wins over the Cavs and the Bulls the day before secured the two-seed for Brooklyn, thereby avoiding the Miami Heat in the first round and perhaps more importantly, gaining home court advantage and a theoretical 2-3 matchup with Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference semis. Important that the Nets showed up last weekend, I'd say. Though, I guess, not important enough for Harden to play the back end of the back to back on Sunday. Big Three has started, what, seven games together? I mean, playing the first six minutes on Sunday, that killed him? Anyway, before the Cavs game, I asked Nets coach Steve Nash about whether he considered it a must win. And here was his response. Hi, Steve. Uh, are you looking to play this game like it's a must-win, like a playoff game, in terms of who you're going to use and how you're going to use them? Or is it going to be more like yesterday where you were looking to maximize the time the big three, so to speak, had on the court together? Uh, well, we definitely want to win the game. Um, but, you know, there's also limits to the risks we'll take. So um, I can't, you know, I could go down the line on every player and what those risks are, but the, the the high-level answer is that we want to win the game. We're playing to win. Um, but obviously, each player has a different set of parameters that uh, we're okay with tonight. So I didn't exactly ask Nash if he wanted to win, but that's how he answered it, I guess. So, dog, you want to win the game. Anyway, it didn't matter because the Nets got another vintage performance out of KD, poured in 23 points on just 10 field goal attempts in 29 minutes to go along with eight rebounds and 13 assists. 13 assists with just two turnovers. Look, I've been talking about this the last few weeks. KD's all-around game has been as good as I've seen it, and without sacrificing his historic efficiency. You know, if not for five missed free throws over his 238 attempts at the line, he would have joined Kyrie in the 50-40-90 club for another time. He's done it before. 
Never in doubt in my mind, even going into the season, that he'd be this good offensively. Still, it's the all-around greatness that I wasn't sure would be recaptured after he missed all last season, recovering from his Achilles surgery. I asked Blake Griffin about that afterwards, and here's the clip. Hey, Blake. Uh, KD's greatness as a scorer is so matter-of-fact. I think he was five missed free throws from joining Kyrie in 50-40-90. But does that make the other aspects of his games underrated? Maybe to you guys, not to us as teammates, uh, not to basketball players. I think we've always um, known the type of impact he has defensively. I think he started to get a little bit more recognition media-wise from the media, I think, in Golden State. I think he did a really good job. Um, you know, one of the years I remember hearing that he – hearing that people were giving him a little bit more credit. But like I said, uh, you know, if you know basketball and you play basketball and you watch it how we watch it, and you, you – you, you don't, under, you don't underestimate the, the impact he has on the game away from scoring. So, yeah, I guess I shouldn't have said that Durant is underrated or even underappreciated. But I, I know I just don't hear him in the conversation when folks always talk about the greatness of the all-around games of guys like LeBron James. You just know KD as the easy money sniper, relentless walking bucket. Well, remember that stat I gave you earlier about Claxton? KD is the Nets' second-best defender, according to that metric on NBA.com, with opponents shooting 42.4% against him. Now, that's going to get tested in this series, and I'll get into more detail on the Nets' rotation a little bit later in the listener mailbag segment. But, you know, I'm going to expect that Nash has Durant start out on Tatum, with Irving on Marcus Smart, Harden on Envin Fournier, and Griffin on whoever the Boston center is, probably Thompson. But who gets Kemba Walker? That's one of the questions I pose to the Nets' exquisite play-by-play announcer for WFAN and the Nets radio network, Chris Carino. Here is my interview with Chris. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is their 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Folks, I'm so grateful to be joined by the awesome voice of the Brooklyn Nets on WFAN and the Nets Radio Network. He's completing his 20th season of play-by-play work alongside the also fabulous Tim Capstraw. Chris Carino is on the other end of the Zoom call. Chris, thanks so much for giving me some time today for this special Nets playoff preview. Absolutely, Steve. I am, uh, I am honored to join you. Very excited to do your playoff preview. Well, uh, Chris, I got to say first, I think you gave Nets fans chills with that Twitter post the other day, tying in the incredible sequence in the regular season finale with the team's all-in mentality. You know, you called it fortune favors the bold. I thought it was just a brilliant spot there. (laughs) But uh, as you well know, the prior time this franchise went bold didn't go so well. And I guess the irony is that the team that took advantage of Brooklyn's missteps along the way is now their first-round opponent, the Celtics. And that's just one of many fascinating storylines of this series, along with Kyrie Irving facing his old team. So my first question to you is, what angle are you most looking forward to pursuing as you prepare your work for the advance of Game 1? There's a lot of angles and storylines, and you touched on it, Steve, but the biggest angle, this team has bigger thoughts than beating the Boston Celtics right now. No one in this organization is connected to that trade anymore, except for me and Capper. You know, we're still around and some of the people that sell tickets and work for the team. But the front office, the players, nobody's around anymore. So they don't have that storyline in their mind. Their whole thing is, can we win a championship? And what's that going to take? That's going to make that's going to see that if this group that has not been whole all season long and has still managed to get the number two seed, can they come together? Can they find their rhythm? Can they um, get acquainted with uh, with each other enough that they can go through all the best teams in the NBA and hoist the championship on Flatbush and Atlantic? And and that's the. That's, to me, the only storyline that matters. Now, some of the other stuff coming in that you mentioned with Boston is kind of cool. It's kind of fun. It's ironic that um, one of the guys they got with the Nets pick that might have been the best 
um, pick that they got from the Nets is is not going to be in this series. That's Jalen Brown because he got hurt. And their their prospects, the Celtics prospects, would look a lot better. They probably wouldn't be the seven seed if Jalen Brown was still around. So uh, you know he's injured. He's out. So um, that's part of it. You know, but everything else is. It's all about is this team going to do? Are they going to get on the same page? Are they going to get in rhythm? Are they going to show us what a championship team looks like? How long will that take? That to me is the big storyline. Well, you know, the I was actually rooting for the Celtics in that play-in with Washington because I thought it was the better matchup for Brooklyn. You know, the Nets would have more issues defending all that backcourt speed than you know Boston's one fantastic player. I mean, was that thinking wrong that this is a better matchup? You know, I was watching that game and it was like some point late in the second quarter. And I was thinking, boy, I, it really doesn't matter. I, I, I don't I don't see either one of these teams um, really having the ability to beat this Nets team four times. It just you could just tell that those two teams, you know, the, the play in the idea of the play in was great. And I know as we tape this on a Wednesday tonight, you're going to have the the much anticipated Lakers Warriors um, game. But really, in reality, like you're you're all hyped for it. Oh, winner take all game. This is going to be incredible. And then you realize, well, they're they're teams with the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth best records in the conference. They're not they're not great teams, and you know, I love I love the answer Chris Paul gave the other day. He was talking to the TNT guys about you know who you want to face. He's like, listen, I've been in the West my whole career. It's never going to be easy. You got to face all comers. So whether we got to beat a team in the first round or the or the conference final, bring them all on. You know, bring them all on. And I think that's the the mentality the Nets have to have right now. It doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, you you'd have to face Russell Westbrook. Uh, you know, uh, for a bunch of games and Bradley Beal, or you have to face Tatum. It does, but but bring it on. If we're going to be a championship team, th- they're thinking if we're going to win it all, we gotta we gotta play everybody. So it, the Washington Wizards or the Boston Celtics, it, it, it shouldn't make a difference who we play. We got to beat them everybody. Right. It's they always talk about it's not who we play, it's how we play, and with regard to the Nets. You know, the only question mark seems to be Joe Harris's hip. But I got to ask you, even if he gets to 100% healthy, can we make a case that Bruce Brown should be starting over him anyway, you know, or get some defensive energy on the court? Because you already have healthy Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin has faced the floor. So yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, that's been a topic of conversation for Capper and I on our pregame show, probably for the last couple of weeks what's the what the starting five should look like what's the best five and you know it probably it maybe is a little controversial rusted when we were discussing it but um you know we felt all along even when joe before joe went out these last few games that bruce brown is what that group needs you know when you have harden durant and kyrie irving everybody talks about floor spacing that you, you need Harris out there to space the floor for those guys. But those guys create their own space. And, and now there's three of them out there. So you've got the floor spacing you need offensively. Yes, could Joe be an added value there? If I have an offensive possession, absolutely. 
But Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin, for that matter, they have shown you that they do the things that complement the big three. You know, they give you the defensive intensity, the physicality. They find the void offensively. You know, Bruce Brown has been so good at lingering around the key, being able to detect where the double team is going to be leaving from, and then finding that space in the paint. And the big three have been very adept at knowing that they have Bruce Brown, he's going to find the empty space. It's like a, it's like a, like when the Seattle Seahawks used to, you know, Russell Wilson, their best offense used to be, he'd get pressured, he'd run around <laughs> like crazy. And then somehow he always found um, Doug Baldwin. You know, like he, the play broke down, but Doug Baldwin was that veteran guy who always knew he could find a spot where Russell Wilson, when it all breaks down, is going to be able to find him. And Bruce Brown, who was a wide receiver in high school, he knows how to get open. He knows where the double's coming from. He finds the spot. So not only is Bruce Brown contributing on the defensive end with his physicality, his intensity, but he's really, he, he, he knows his role. He found a spot with those guys. Blake Griffin has done it as well. And I really think that you know, this, this team had been getting off to some bad starts. Uh, and I think that maybe having Brown and Griffin out there will help them in that regard. I know it didn't help against Chicago the other day where they're down 12 nothing, But I really do think that, that, that this group might be the best group. And that's, you know, with, with Harris being injured, kind of Steve Nash fell into it. And whether you stay with, I don't know, you know, what do you got to realize? Is Joe going to be okay with it? I think if there's any guy on the team that is going to just do whatever he feels needs to be done in whatever role that is, it's Joe Harris. So I'm not worried about Joe. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, he, he's going to be one who will be most willing to sacrifice. He understands he's gotten paid. I'm talking with uh, Nets yeah. radio play-by-play voice, Chris Carino. Chris, I guess the other unknown, if you will, wild, wild card might be how Nick Claxton will be used in the rotation. I mean, you know, will he be part of a crunch time lineup in these playoffs? Ness kind of sheltered him throughout the season, picking and choosing the matchups because of how little basketball he's played, you know, with the injuries. Do you think Claxton is ready to have the training wheels come off, so to speak? That's what these games are about. I mean, we're not going to know. You're not going to know until a guy is in those situations. And this is going to be a valuable experience for him. And we'll find out as the, as the playoffs go along. I think you'll learn a lot about Claxton and you'll learn if he's ready. And, and they'll give him that, that role if, if it looks like he's ready. And, and some of it will be matchup based. I mean, I don't even think you're, you've seen the last of a guy like DeAndre Jordan. I mean, you get into the playoffs and you've got to go up against Joel Embiid maybe at some point. Um, you know, there, the, the great thing about this team is there is so much depth and not only is there depth, but you know about it, like, you know, what every guy on that roster can give you because they've all played a key role at some point this year. I don't, I don't recall any season where we've been able to discover 
what every single guy is capable of in a big spot. And if he has to be called on to do something and be a big part of the team, well, I, I mean, will, everybody, I will say this. I mean, two years ago, I think there were 11 different nets who were leading scorer at one point, but I get what you're saying in terms of known quantities, the veteran depth. I mean, we're only talking about a couple of guys who don't have playoff experience. Yeah, and I just think that they've all had to play key roles this season. I mean, everybody from Alizé Johnson to Chris Chioza to Mike James, you know, all these guys have, have really played a key role at times this year. And I think Steve Nash is completely confident to go to every single guy on that roster. You know, Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamit. These are all guys that might have to find themselves out of the rotation. You know, if you shorten it up to eight or nine guys. So... But I think Steve Nash is completely confident to go to any one of those guys. And Claxton can be a real wild card. You know, they're still, it's funny if they, if they do end up having to play. I mean, I mean, listen, I could see, I could see Claxton coming in against a, 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 a Tatum against Boston to just get, show him some length, right. <laughs> to, to change it up a little bit. Um, you get a series against Milwaukee, you know, Claxton wasn't, quite yet ready to be involved in the rotation yet when those two games in Milwaukee, but maybe against Giannis, his length could be something that you, you found there. His ability to go out and, and guard guards and, and switches and pick and roll and be able to stop penetration that sometimes hurts the Nets. I mean, he could be a huge wild card. So yeah, absolutely. I think, I think he will play a key role. And, and the thing I love about Nick Claxton as this season's gone along like I said, you're going to find out about what he can do in, in, in pressure situations like the playoffs. It doesn't look like he's affected by the moment at all. I don't think he's afraid of the moment at all. I don't think the playoffs are going to affect him at all. I think he's going to be the same live wire that we have seen throughout. And uh, got to pick up the free throw shooting. It's going to be really fun to watch it. Got to pick up the free throw shooting percentage. That's about that. It. That will help. That, that's a great point, Steve, because if, if, if he's going to be sub 50% from the line, you know, you don't think of him sometimes because he doesn't look like a bad free throw shooter, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't look, he doesn't have this hitch or something strange about it where you go, he's an obvious bad free throw shooter. It's like, but the, but the other team will know it'll, it'll be on the scouting <laughs> report. And if he's going to be a liability from that standpoint, it's going to be hard to have him in key fourth quarter minutes. You're, you're absolutely right. Okay, we'll go back to the known quantities. I just really want to talk about one of the big three, and that's Kevin Durant. Uh, do you, you probably have saw the stat where he was five missed free throws away from joining Kyrie in 50, 40, 90. I mean, and his all-around game has has just been amazing to me. And I just want to get your perspective. For someone who's watched basketball close closely for a long time, I mean, with – First of all, was this expected coming off the Achilles injury? Is he showing you more than what you thought he would bring? I, I didn't think so. I, I thought it'd be like riding a bike for Kevin Durant. As long as the Achilles was fine, um, you know, I, I didn't think he'd, he'd lose a step at all. The, the thing you worried about was him getting hurt. And uh, it's not related to the original injury, but he did. He did get hurt and he missed a, a good portion of time this year um, and, and the condensed schedule and, and coming off rehabbing an injury, maybe that, that contributed to that. So I think that was a fear and, and it happened. 
Um, but for, you know, his ability to score is as good as we've seen in this league, in the history of the game. Yeah, but we always knew that. Yes. The, the thing that he's done really well recently, Tim and I, we talked about this on the air. Capper pointed it out uh, lately, those last, going into like those last three or four games, the, the, the winning streak especially that they had at the end of the year, was his getting the ball on the right side of the paint and looking, waiting for the double team. There's no, there, there are very few guys in the history of this game that have ever been able to handle a double team like Kevin Durant because of his unique ability to handle the ball, to pass, and the size that he has to just see over everybody. So his, his ability to get other guys going and his assist numbers the last few games, that's an area that just makes him unstoppable. That, that really puts him on another level. And when he's got a score, I mean, there's nobody better. There's nobody better. Uh, just a couple more for you, if you don't mind, Chris. Uh, I don't get to hear your exclusive pregame interviews with Nash as much as I like, but you know they're they're superb, and you seem to have a great rapport with him, and you typically get more out of him than what the rest of us get on those zooms. So you know, tell us how ready do you think he is for the microscope that is coaching in the NBA playoffs? Steve has, I think, done a great job this year of giving the Nets what they needed. Is he a finished product in terms of um, his, his sideline, uh, I don't want to say demeanor, his sideline um, comfort. Game, oh, you know? game management. Game. Yeah, like you got to remember, this guy never did it. He did it as a point guard, but it's different. Why he was brought in was the gravitas of Steve Nash, right? His ability to, to face a Kevin Durant or a Kyrie Irving and do it as a two-time NBA MVP. That there is nothing that you've gone through in your career that he hasn't gone through. And he's got this really cool, stoic demeanor about him. You know, he, he, he never gets too high or too low. He's incredibly intelligent, but humble. He's clever. He's an everyman, yet he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> and I think that dichotomy of Steve Nash is something that Sean Marks identified that could be valuable with the personalities and with the experience of this roster. And I don't think he gets enough credit or his staff gets enough credit. Yes. Can you nitpick things he does in game? Absolutely. Yeah. People want to nitpick about his, you know, calling timeouts or, or you know, plays that maybe, you know, a game got screwed up down the stretch or whatever it may be. You can nitpick all you want. But when you think about what this team has endured, the amount of players that have been on the roster, the amount of injuries they've had, the number of starting lineups that they've had, the number of players who have been in the rotation and out of the rotation, the different lineup from night to night, and the fact that they are still the number two seed. You know, this narrative that they were this super team is overblown. They've not had the super team all year. It's, it's been a handful of games where they've had the super team. Yes, they are a little more deep at the superstar position, as I call it, than other teams, sure. Everybody's gone through that stuff. 
But a lot of nights, it was one of the stars or two of the stars and a bunch of role players. And they always looked well coached. Again, yes, you can nitpack, nitpick a decision late in the game or a timeout, whatever you want to do. But for the most part, when you watch them on the offensive end, at least, I know on the defense, it's been a little slower, but I think that's personnel related too. It hasn't looked like a team that doesn't know what they're doing. And yes, the Kings have to work out on the defensive end. I understand that. But I don't think the staff got enough credit for the fact that they've gone through all this and they're still at the best record in franchise history, you know, winning percentage wise and the number two seed in the East. I mean, I, I don't know. I still think it was a great accomplishment. I think you got to give the coaching staff credit for that. I, I would have to agree with you there. I, I can't disagree with the thing you said about that. And so uh, lastly, Chris, uh, I always like to give you an opportunity to promote promote any events you're planning for your foundation for FSHD. I mean, hopefully the pandemic will continue to ease enough so you can bring people together, you know, for such an important cause. And I swear I'm going to get to a gala one of these years, Yeah. but you know, I, even if folks can't make it, there's a way to donate, right? You can plug that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're still up in the air in terms of uh, events this year, but um, certainly our cause remains the same. The message remains the same. What we're trying to do remains the same. ChrisCarinoFoundation.org. Um, I'll plug another um, project that I'm working on right now that I've been putting together. It's called uh, TheRelentlessVoice.com. I'll be doing some podcasting, some blogging um, that will kind of go off, off the sports end and more toward uh, me personally and, and the things that I uh, you know, deal with in my life and uh, introduce you to some other people that have found strength and resiliency going through difficult times in their lives. I think a lot of people can relate to it, whether or not you have a disability or uh, any, anything that you're going through in your life. I think it's, it's relatable and it's, it's all tied together with uh, the message of the Carino Foundation. So um, all that stuff. Uh, and then, you know, just trying to get the word out that, um, that the Nets are, are uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting that we could have so many people in the building at Barclays Center. You know, I've, yeah. Steve, Capra and I have been doing games this year. Started out where we were doing road games off a TV monitor, an empty building. Then we were watching the real team play in front of us, but still it was an empty building. And now we're starting to see people trickle into the building. And we're going to jump it up to another level where there's going to be thousands of people in the building. Um, we're going to be, Tim and I are going to be doing a zoom. If you go to brooklynets.com, I think you find out all of your information. We're going to talk with Sean Marks on Thursday evening on a zoom. That's open to everybody and let people know that there's tickets available. Get your immunizations, get your shots, get your test, get out to the building. It's going to be, it's going to be incredibly fun just to see this team play in playoff games and just to have everybody out as a community again and being together. I, I can't wait. I'm so excited about it, Steve. Yeah, Chris Garrido, I could talk to you for hours. I even get to talk to you about broadcasting in the pandemic. I asked Michael Grady about it, you know, the, <laughs> the, the preparation and then, you know, trying to visualize a crowd behind you. But anyway, I'll let you go. I, I know we got the Nets Zoom coming up too. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on with me today. Uh, let's hope the Nets go on a deep, long run so we can hear the splendor work you and Tim Capstra do, you know, with an NBA championship on the line. Thank you, Chris. All right, Steve. Thank you. 
So, wow, what a spot there by Nets Radio play-by-play voice Chris Carino. Just so good at what he does. For those of you who don't follow the Nets Radio account on Twitter, I highly recommend it. Chris's calls on the top plays from the previous night are just spot on. And Oh, by the way, he's also a real decent person to boot. You should definitely support his charitable foundation at chriscarinofoundation.org. I mean, thank you again, Chris. So let's now move on to your questions as I segue into a new listener mailbag segment. Thanks to all of you who responded to my request on Twitter. Most of you seem to be interested in my thoughts on Brooklyn's rotation. So let's lead off with this one from Jonathan Segarra of at PRNight324, who asked, If Nash goes the way of Mike D'Antoni's rotations of eight deep in the playoffs, who are the three off the bench and who is the fifth starter? Thank you for the question, Jonathan. And as I just discussed with Chris Carino, I think you have to go with Bruce Brown in the starting five here. Now, that's a fluid situation because Milwaukee and Philly are both bigger teams who are better equipped to handle all of Brown's interior annoyances on the offensive end. But this series? Yeah, I'd move Harris to the bench with Claxton and Green as the other primary reserves. I do think Nash will find a way to get Landry Shamit some minutes. I don't think a nine-man rotation will be too cumbersome, especially early in the series. So thanks, Jonathan. And in a similar vein... At BKN underscore says, wants to know my thoughts on Nash's thought process, whether he'll limit the number of players in the rotation and really rely on the stars and just select role players, or will he take in an if-it-ain't-broke-don't-fix-it approach? Well, I just laid out a plausible nine-man rotation for you, and yeah, I, I do think you'll see the stars get their minutes up to 40 or somewhere close. You just have to. And if you look at Boston, they absolutely need Tatum on the court as much as possible. On Tuesday, I think he rested maybe five or six minutes before garbage time. And something's got killed when he was off the court. You know, the Nets are fortunate to have three stars at their disposal. But, you know, they don't like to come out. So there's probably a way for Nash to massage the rotation so that he always has at least two of them on the court all the time. But to your point, no. I mean, barring injuries, we shouldn't be seeing any more of Mike James in meaningful minutes. And you could add Tyler Johnson to the Stay Ready group as well. Next up, loyal listener Eddie Limage of At Limage Eddie asked, Does Nash cement the starting lineup or does he continue to play matchups as he did in the regular season? And will this man ever force teams to adjust to his team rather than vice versa? So, Eddie, I mean, thanks for the question, but I'm not sure how you want me to respond. I mean, if a starting lineup stinks, should he really run it out every game? Doesn't matter whether it's because of Brown, Harris, or Griffin. I mean, if Boston is exploiting a particular matchup, you have to adjust. Because that's what this postseason is all about for coaches. Adjustments. And then adjusting to your opponent's adjustments. And as for Nash forcing other teams to adjust to Brooklyn, 
I mean, how many times have I complained that the Nets are putting out lineups that are too small? Like all the times when he had Green as the sole big on the floor? That's the epitome of arrogant thinking, at least in my opinion. They're telling opponents, okay, you might score on us at will, but just you try to stop us. So, if anything, I think Nash has been more likely to be too slow at the switch in the regular season. Typically hoping that the boys will figure things out for themselves. Problem solved, as he puts it. So, hope that answers your question, Eddie Limage. And finally, loyal listener Corey Cantor of at CBC727 had a trio of questions. First of which I already answered on the Nets rotation. But, you know, his other two are pretty good ones. So, first, who will be Brooklyn's X-Factor outside of the big three? So, Corey, I asked this of Chris Carino, and we're both going with Nick Claxton. I just think his ability to switch out onto ball handlers, even Tatum, I think if he can coax a few misses with his strong contests, that'll be huge for Brooklyn. Also, you know, defensive rebounding numbers are going to be pivotal in this series. And I just don't trust that a Griffin and Durant combo up front gets it done. Claxton's energy, you know, how he comes back into the paint to help out on the glass instead of leaking out on the break. If the Nets can finish more defensive possessions with rebounds, again, they don't have to do it a ton, just enough so that their offense can carry him through the series. But like I mentioned to Chris... He's got to get that free throw percentage up. 48.4% from the stripe is problematic. You can't play him at the end of quarters when you're in the bonus, never mind the end of games. Opponents are just going to foul you. So that also bears watching. Now, as to your third question, Corey, is there any benefit to Brooklyn from having to go the hard road through Milwaukee and Philly? No, not really. Sorry to say. I mean, it is what it is. Nets finished a game behind Philly in the East standings. Two games if you count the fact that the Sixers owned the head-to-head tiebreaker. But, you know, having to play stronger teams where you're likely to play more games and expend more energy and run the risk of getting hurt. No, that's not the preferable route. But, you know, look at the West. Whoever comes out of there will have gone through hell. I mean, Utah is the one seed, right? I mean, after the first round, the chalk path has them facing the Clippers in round two. Not exactly a cakewalk. But, you know, back to the East. Yeah, Philly has an easier road facing the Knicks-Hawks winner. But remember, that could have easily have been the Heat, who were one game behind both those clubs. So, you know, I guess I'm trying to say that it does no good looking at what might have been or looking for silver linings. Beat the team in front of you and move on. Hopefully in good health. So thank you, Corey Cantor of at CBC 727 And to all you listeners who submitted questions, always enjoyable for me to hear what you folks think. And as I wrap up this episode, I should definitely give another shout-out to the great Chris Carino of WFAN and the Nets Radio Network for his insightful spot. He's the best. If you can't make it out to Barclays Center for Game 1 on Saturday, try watching the ABC feed with the radio sound. Just a helpful suggestion there. I think you'll enjoy it more. 
Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the City Game Podcast. Again, please subscribe on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading these episodes. Also, please feel free to post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. I should uh, be recording again sometime after Game 2. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.